war, politics, social unrest, economic uncertainty, international conflicts, climate change. What is the significance of these current events? Where are we heading? Pastor Gary Webster shares answers from the Bible, giving you hope and certainty in the times ahead. Welcome to Countdown, Back to the Future. This episode is entitled, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. We're going to take an amazing journey through time together today as we look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So let's begin. I don't know if you've ever been to Pompeii. There was this morning where we were at um, Clarkson. Some had been to Pompeii. Pompeii is an amazing city, ancient city. For ancient times, it was very modern. (laughs) In fact, if you go to Pompeii, some of the people in this city, they had running water in their homes, which was not so long that we've had it here, you know, uh, back the last century. Large homes. Here you could come to the forum, the marketplace, to begin your day, uh, to do your shopping and all the other things that you wanted to do in Pompeii. If you're one of the, the ladies, you may want to come here to the Wool Merchants Forum here to buy some wool to make the yarn, to make your clothes for the family. It's the way they lived in ancient times. Maybe you would want to come here to the bakery to get your bread because this is the baker's shop. If you're in a hurry, you could come to the fast food outlets of Pompeii. These little corner stores, you know, food on the run as you went about your day's activities. Then perhaps you want to uh, relax a little bit in the afternoon after your shopping day. You could come here to the theatre to watch your favourite drama. So the actors are doing their thing. If you're a more sporty then you would come to the sports arena and you would watch the gladiators beat each other to death because that was was the entertainment in the days of the Romans. Violence was one of the things that actually brought the Roman civilization down. Uh, This is what it was. Then in the evening you could relax in the bathhouse because there was a cold bath, a warm bath and a hot bath. It was all laid out in this city that was given to pleasure. Other people did other things in Pompeii. Uh, The brothels were well, uh, well armed, well ready to go. In fact, some of the art that decorated some of the villas in Pompeii we could never show at a program like this. If you visit the city of Naples and you go to the museum, uh, it has to be seen to be believed what took place in Pompeii. They had their religion because you need enough religion to sort of keep your conscience okay, but religion never spoiled anybody's fun in Pompeii and the ancient world because there were temple prostitutes, male and female, to serve the women and the men. But always in the background was this sort of sleeping volcano, Mount Vesuvius. It hadn't erupted for some seven or eight hundred years. But in AD 62, Mount Vesuvius started to rumble and it caused an earthquake that destroyed much of this city. But the people did some of the rebuilding, but they continued on life as usual in the fast lane of pleasure and luxury and all of that. Then in AD 79, Mount Vesuvius started to rumble yet again, 
But the people continued on their life as usual in this city until August 24, AD 79, Mount Vesuvius blew its top and it rained red hot pumice on the city of Pompeii and completely buried this ancient city in AD 79. In fact, archaeologists have been excavating here for the last couple of hundred years. And, you know, if you want to visit this city, you're going to need almost a bus to get around it. It's a very big place to see it all. You're not going to see it in a day by any means. And it was completely buried. They've been excavating and they discovered the last tragic moments of a city that failed to heed the warning signs of imminent destruction. Well, what does this have to do with the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, you're going to see that it has everything to do with your life and my life today. Now, Hollywood has portrayed uh, their version of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in some film or two. Let me assure you, it has nothing to do with what the Bible says. <laughs> the four horsemen come from the Bible. Hollywood just picked up the idea that seems to interest people. So what do we find here? Well, when we go to the book of Revelation, we come to the fourth to the eighth chapters and we discover the seven seals of Revelation. You may recall we saw the great image of the various metals from Daniel, right? You, you remember that. You're, some of you are studying that in the secrets of prophecy. We also saw the four beasts that come out of the briny ocean. Those four metals represented four nations that arose over time from Daniel's day right on down to the end of time. With the four beasts, it was the same four nations, but different perspective on them uh, down to the end of time. Well, we have the same thing in Revelation. We have the seven churches, and we take that from the time of Jesus right on down through the ages to the end. Same with the four horsemen. We begin in Jesus' time and we take a journey through time. Seven trumpets, same thing, but from a different angle. So let's have a look what John sees in Revelation. John sees in chapter 4, he takes us right into the very throne room of God. We're taken to heaven and there is the Father on the throne and all the angels gathered about him. He has in his hand a book, a scroll. And this scroll is sealed with seven seals. Now, we notice and we'll see in our second presentation, only one person can break the seals and open the scroll book. And that is Jesus, the Lamb of God. He takes the scroll book from the Father and one by one he breaks the seals. Let's notice what the Bible says. Now, when he had taken the scroll, they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. We'll see why Jesus was worthy to open this book in our second session. What we're going to see is that for the last 2,000 years, Christ has ascended up after his resurrection to God, the Father. He's not on a holiday. What he's been doing is he's been working down through the ages toward his return for his people. And uh, we'll understand that even more in our second session. So we're going to take a, a journey, seven periods of Christian history from the cross right on down to the end times. That's the journey that we're going to be on this afternoon. 
All right, now let's notice what we see then is each seal that's broken by Jesus is a step closer toward his return and the setting up of the last empire. You're going to discover, especially in our second session, that this is very similar in some respects to Matthew 24. Remember, we looked at the signs that Jesus gave of his coming and the end of the world. He began, we saw, with his apostles and the early church, the fall of Jerusalem and all of that we saw in our series. Then we go through the Dark Ages, period called the Great Tribulation, and we end with end time events. That's how Jesus portrayed it in Matthew 24. Now we're going to see some similar things in Revelation because it's the same Jesus who's giving John this vision. Now, we're going to look at some archaeology as we go through this afternoon and university history, which throws light on helping us to understand what's going on here. So let's begin. The first seal is a white horse, John sees. The Bible says, Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. All right, what's this talking about? How do we understand this? Well, this first seal represents the period in Christian history from 31 AD when Jesus died and went back to heaven until the end of that first century, 100 AD. Now, in Revelation... We have noticed that there are many symbols and they're all interpreted by the Bible. We've seen that before. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going back to other parts of the Bible to understand this. So let's have a look at this white horse. Now, white or light in the Bible is a symbol of righteousness, of truth. In other words, it's connected with the cause of God. Here's an example. John saw Jesus coming like on a white horse here. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You notice God's army followed him on white horses. So there's, the, there's the, the imagery there, or the symbolism, white, God's cause. Now, he sees also a bow and a crown and conquering. This, this first rider is, has this bow. In other words, we're seeing successful, victorious warfare going on. Now, you will recall in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Christianity is pictured as being at war against evil. Some of you have no doubt read about the armour that God's friends need to get dressed up in in this fight, right? Paul talks about it. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. Listen here. We are at war and the devil wants to take you out. He wants to take me down. He does not want you to have eternal life. And he has a bunch of strategies, bunch of tricks up his sleeve. And God says, if you want to win, and we do want to win, then get dressed up in his armor. 
and he gives a list of what it is in Ephesians. Now, Christianity of the first century was very victorious and triumphant as it moved out across the ancient world. First century Christianity. Let's have a look. Now, thanks be to God, says Paul, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. You and I can be victorious in Jesus too. And through us, through people, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, you remember the spread of Christianity. It began here in Jerusalem with Jesus and his apostles. Quickly, it spread up here to Antioch in Syria. Paul took it to Asia Minor. We call that Turkey today. Then a voice, a, a messenger said, come over to Macedonia, come over to Greece and help us. And he put the gospel there. And then he ended up in Rome himself and the Christian message spread to the very heart of the Roman Empire, all within the first century AD. Triumphant conquest, and Paul wrote about it. Notice what he says. The good news has been preached all over the world. So this is why we have this rider on the white horse with a bow. He's got a crown. He's victorious. He's on the march. It represents God's cause. Now, just to illustrate that, here we are in the Odeon, little theatre in Paphos, a town of, of, of uh, Cyprus. Paul came here. He tells us about some trouble he had because he came here preaching the gospel and he met this guy here called Sergius Paulus, this fellow here. He was the sort of like the governor in this place. And Sergius Paulus was open to the, the gospel of Jesus, but there was a guy called Elymas. He was a sorcerer, a magician, this guy here. And he was, a, he was trying to turn this man from the truth of God. And Paul, one day, he had enough. And he turned to this fellow and he says, you son of the devil. Oh, imagine when your pastor told you that. You son of the devil, he says, you always pervert and corrupt the ways of righteousness. You will be blind. Boom. And the guy turned blind like that. Tell you what, it got the attention of the governor. He quickly saw whose side he needed to be on, not because of the blindness, but he could see there's power in what Paul is doing. God is with him. And the Sergius Paulus became a believer. This man wasn't blind for the rest of his life, just for a time. But in other words, wow, you, when, you, when you and I, when anybody messes with the work of God, be careful what you and I do. Wow, because God knows he wants to win souls. And if we stand in the road or anyone stands in the road, that upsets God. By the way, Sergius Paulus' inscription has been found with this man's name on it. The very man mentioned in the Bible became a believer in Jesus Christ. He's not all. Paul came here to Corinth as well. He preached the gospel in this place. By the way, this great big uh, mountain here called the Acro Corinth. Up here, they say there was a temple served by a thousand prostitutes. This is where wickedness took place. But here, Paul was arrayed before the judge, uh, one of the governors, Gallio, and right here in Corinth. And he mentions how when he came to Corinth, he preached the gospel. And a man by the name of Erastus, one of the city leaders, was one to God. <laughs> Interestingly, they've actually found the plaque of this man just outside of the city of of Corinth is this plaque that you can see with Erastus's name on it. This is what it says. Erastus, in return for his idolship, means he was the treasurer and chief of public works, did lay, laid the pavement at his own expense. I tell you what, when you read in the Bible about certain people, let me tell you this is true. 
And we have just a couple of illustrations of the power of the gospel to win some great public leaders. Here at Ephesus, Paul came and preached. This was a very pagan place. These people were into witchcraft. Paul came here preaching about Jesus and many people came to the Lord. In fact, for a couple of hours, they cried out here, great is Diana, the Bible says. This is the, the very place they did it. So the gospel spread rapidly, but even went to Rome, to the palace of Nero. Some of the people in the palace became Christians. Notice what they tell us from back in this time. Many of every age, rank and sex are being brought to trial. For, why? For the contagion of that superstition. They're talking about Christianity. It has spread over not only the cities, but villages and the country. When Paul, when John, I should say, saw that the gospel was going with triumph, he was telling us exactly what was to happen. So, first seal from 31 AD to 100 AD, the first century of Christianity when it was very triumphant. Let's move to the next seal. John sees a red horse. Notice what he says. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. Well, it doesn't take much rocket sciences to understand what this is talking about. In the Bible, red and a sword, symbols of war and bloodshed in the Bible. I want you to notice what the Bible tells us. Jesus said these words, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's strange words, isn't it? What does Jesus mean? I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, let's read on. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Have some of you seen that in your own life? The moment you come to Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, suddenly people are against you. They can be your parents. They can be your children. They can be your church members. They get against you. Why? Because they sense that they're not following what they should be following. And Jesus said, I didn't come bring the peace. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't want us to be peaceful. But he said, don't be surprised when you go and accept me that there's not going to be trouble. There will be trouble in your life. But we'll pick that up more in a moment. So 100 AD to 313 AD, this is when persecution was rampant against the Christians. The persecution by the Romans against the Christian. You could die simply because you would not offer a pinch of incense to the pagan god. That would cost you your life. Many Christians said, I will not do that because to do that is to say, I acknowledge this god and this is not a god at all. It's just a piece of stone. Right here in the Circus Maximus, where they raced their horses, by the way, this is where many Christians were killed. You can see a little model of this here. And this is where the emperors live. They could look over this area and watch the games, sipping their beautiful juice, their wine, and, and eating their stuff. Uh, just up here in this area, they could watch the horse races and so on, in what we call the hippo, hippodrome. Now, they, uh, 
also killed Christians as well down here at the Colosseum. Of course, the Colosseum was famous especially for the gladiators because here is where the gladiators would fight each other. If you fought a good fight and lost and the people gave you the thumbs up, you lived. If they thought you'd fought a terrible fight and they put their thumbs down, you die. And they loved this. And herein lies a warning for our own civilization. Today, our world, our society is feeding on violence. Have you noticed? Wow. Do you not think that that affects people? Of course it does. The Bible says, by beholding, we become changed. Whatever gets our attention gets us. We become like what we see. We start to act in certain ways. Affects our behavior. Well, not only were the gladiators the entertainment, of course, so were the Christians. Some of them, as we said, were put on poles. Tar was poured over them and they were set alight for the games that night. Others were fed to the lions. It took something to be a Christian in those days. But I love what Jesus said. While you may have peace, might not have peace from outside, you will have peace inside. That's what I love what Jesus said. He said, these things I've spoken to you that in me, in connection with me, you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble or tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he said these words as well. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Just pause the button there for a moment. Do you think Jesus was a man of peace? Well, of course. Have you ever seen a man who was like Jesus? No, you haven't. <laughs> Jesus was the most serene person at peace. Yet did he suffer? Oh, did he suffer? <laughs> he, they were on his case from the time he arrived to the time he left especially the Pharisees and the scribes, so much so that they ended up killing him and crucify him. But he could triumphantly say, it is finished, I have won, I have defeated the devil. My brother, my sister, you may go through trouble of a thousand sorts, but Jesus says you can have peace within. That's his promise. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. So the second seal represents that time from 100 AD to 313 AD when Christianity experienced incredible persecution uh, by the power of the Romans at their hands. All right, third seal. John sees a black horse. Notice what he says. When he opened the third seal... I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So what's going on here? How do we understand this? Well, in the Bible, black or darkness is a symbol for Satan's kingdom of sin, the contrast to, to light. We see that very clearly in Paul's writings in a number of places. Notice what he says, talking to the friend, his friends from Colossae. He, that's Jesus, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Don't you love that verse? You know, you and I can be trapped by the devil but the power of Jesus is stronger than to, to get us out of that. That's what he's saying here. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. So what 
the Bible is saying now, what God is saying through this third seal is evil is going to invade the church. Darkness is going to overcome the Christian church. It's going to slip in, if you like. How's that going to happen? Well, that's, be, that's all to do with those scales in the hand of the rider. Because notice what was said here. Remember? Talked about food. Now, balances were things used back in ancient times to weigh the food of people. And John is telling us this. One measure of wheat costs one man's daily wages. So just a, just a measure of food, that's a ration for a man for a day. It's going to cost him his whole day's wage. What about his wife? What about his children? How are they going to eat? What about the barley? Well, barley was not the best of food. Barley was food for the poor and the animals. But three measures of barley is selling for a denarius. In other words, we have a famine. That's what's going on here. Wheat and barley are being sold at exorbitant prices. This is a time of famine. Now, we're not talking about a physical famine. We're talking about a famine for the word of God here, because this is a symbolic passage. So there's a famine for God's word going on. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He or she who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The needs of your heart and my heart will be satisfied by Jesus. It is the spirit, he said, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I want you to notice something here. What Jesus is saying in the book of Revelation is here is this. If you and I want to survive, we better be into this. We better make sure we're feeding our souls. Did you have breakfast this morning? I reckon you did. I reckon you had lunch. But I want to ask you a question you don't have to answer. Did you open the Bible? Did you study the Bible? Because the Bible says, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. But every word, notice how he answered the devil. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's more important for you. If you're going to miss a meal today, tomorrow, if you can't study the Bible and you can't eat, don't eat. Serious. More important. Don't do it every day, but <laughs> you better change your schedule if you can't eat every day because you're in a hurry. But it's more important to get this than that. Serious. Because the word of God can feed your soul unto eternal life. That's what he's telling us here. Huh. Man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So evil's going to invade the church. How's evil going to invade the church? Why? Because the church would turn from God's word, would corrupt God's word. And this is true for you and I. When you and I do not take time to study this word and follow what it says, soon evil will invade your life and my life. I've seen it happen in programs like this. I've seen people rejoicing. Wow, they're hearing the things of the Word of God in programs like this. Then they come to something that cuts across their pathway and they say, I'm not going there. And I've had those same people call what, we, what they agreed with a few weeks before error now 
whereas they thought it was truth before. That's what Jesus said. Walk while we have the light, lest the darkness come upon us. Serious business, isn't it? The word of God, the light of the world can help you and I. That's why God takes this so seriously. So 313 to 538 AD, this is what is happening in the Christian church. Constantine, we saw during our series, he became the first Christian Roman emperor. When he comes into the Christian church, he, we have now a, a union of church and state, government and religion. And you can bet your life when that happens, the church is going to go downhill spiritually. Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire in 324 AD. Rome becomes Christian. Nice to hear that. But sadly, pagan Roman beliefs and practices flood into the Christian church. And that can happen in the church today. I don't care what denomination it is. When the church, when God's people do not study this book and follow this book, let me tell you what will come into the life. It will be error. We will follow the world's ways. That's what will happen. And that's what happened in the Christian church. The New Christian says history books were as far as thinking and habits went, the same old pagans. Their surge into the churches did not wipe out paganism. On the contrary, hordes of baptized pagans meant that paganism had diluted the moral energies of organized Christianity to the point of impotence. When you see the church has no power, in his work, you can bet your life that something is missing. God's people are not studying this book. God's people are not following this book. Because that's the way God has shared it with us. Numerous biblical teachings were altered and dropped through pagan influence in the Christian church. Indeed, a sad time. But I thank God for this. The, the, he was told, don't hurt the oil, don't hurt the wine. What's going on? What does that mean? Well, even in a time of darkness, God is saying some things will still be around. What do we mean by the oil? Well, you remember in the Bible, oil is an energy source. It's the olive oil, of course, not what you put in your car. It's the oil from the olive. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Notice when King David was anointed with oil, the Spirit of God came upon him. Then Samuel took the horn. That's a, like a, a sheep's horn. A goat's horn. He took the horn of oil, anointed him, poured it on him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now you think about it. The work of the Holy Spirit, God is saying, I want the spirit still to work even in a dark church. Why is the Holy Spirit so important? Well, number one, he convicts us of sin, of what is right, what is wrong and of judgment to come. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus is talking. When he has come, that's the spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You know, have you ever noticed that you squirm sometimes when you read the Bible? Or the preacher speaks to you? I've noticed that many times. You squirm because we don't naturally like the truth because it's kind of mean change. I was reading with my wife this week. We were reading through a beautiful book on the on, on story of Paul. Come to the time when Paul stands before Nero, this mongrel. He was a mongrel. He just butchered people. You don't smile right, you lose your life in front of Nero. And when Paul stood before Nero, this emperor that everybody feared trembled because there was mighty power in, in Paul's message. 
Nero thought he was standing before the judgment seat of God. He was convicted of his sin. So don't get upset with God when he upsets you because he's only upsetting us to set us up. Isn't that true? He will convict us of our sin so that we might turn to the right thing. That's the grace of God. Because if he didn't, we would go on our hell-bent way to hell, to destruction. But he doesn't want that. So he convicts us. He's, he, he makes us squirm so we'll turn to him. But he does more than just that. The Bible says he makes us God's children by new birth. Love the way Jesus said when he's talking to Nicodemus in that night long ago. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want to ask you a question point blank. Don't answer me. Have you been born again? Seriously now. Seriously. Have you been changed from the inside out by God? Can you say with confidence, for me to live is Jesus and mean it and know it? Because unless we can, we are not ready for the kingdom of God. It's that simple. Unless we can say, I love Jesus, we're not ready for the kingdom. Thank God that the Spirit is the one that makes us born again. That man, Nicodemus, I mean, he thought he was somebody, but Jesus just went straight to the heart. Nicodemus, you must be born again. I love you, and I want you to be in my kingdom. God, my Father loves you. Thank God for the Spirit who makes us born again. He brings us God's power and the presence of Jesus and God's love into our life. Notice what the Bible says, that he would grant you, Paul is praying, he's going to his knees for his friends in Ephesus, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. That word in the Greek is dynamos, the dynamite power, through his spirit in the inner man, inside of us, that Christ, he says, may dwell in that's good. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, my brothers and sisters, unless we're born again, we're not going to be in the kingdom. But God tells us how, and it's very simple. He said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're not born again, basically, he was telling. How can I have that, said Nicodemus? Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the snake on the pole, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will not perish. In other words, just like those Israelites looked at that snake and those who looked lived, those who didn't look, they died. So if we accept Christ, if we come to him and say, nothing in my hand I bring, oh Lord, accept me, we live. That's how we receive the Spirit and the Spirit does his work. The love of God, says Paul, has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. It's all through Jesus. That's how the change comes and the Spirit moves. Don't hurt the wine. Well, we understand that, doesn't it? This is a symbol of Christ's blood, which brings the new covenant in the Bible. Let's notice. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Put your name where it says you. Seriously, put your name. Wow, what a beautiful promise that is. What's the new covenant? Well, of course, we understand what the new covenant is, don't we? Forgiveness of sin. You know, I was reading the other day, the moment a sinner comes to Christ, that moment they are pardoned. The righteousness of Christ is credited to them and they don't have to doubt God's forgiving love. What a beautiful statement. That's really from the Bible, actually. 
It's the same principle that we find in Scripture. We are reconciled to God. We are God's friends. And God's laws are now written in our heart. We don't want to do that stuff anymore that we know is wrong. We want a new direction in life. We hate what we do wrong. Whereas before we couldn't care. You cross me, you're going to get your lights punched out, right? That's the way it was before Jesus came. You mess with my life, I'm going to mess with yours. But when Jesus comes, suddenly we love our enemies. Suddenly things change. By Christ's blood of the new covenant. Don't harm that. Even when a church is going in, down into the darkness, God is still able to reach some people. A new life of powerful, loving living. So the third seal is that period from 313 AD to 538 when darkness is moving into the Christian church. Apostate Christianity. Last seal for this next, this first presentation is the pale horse. John says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. Not a very pretty picture, is it? What's going on here? Well, this takes us from 538 AD down to around 1517. In other words, we're looking through what we call the Dark Ages period of Christianity. John says, death. Now, when he says death was the writer, he means spiritual death, first of all. Notice, he, you, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, there are many people, even in the church, sadly, who are dead spiritually. They have no life. And the world, of course. That's what the Bible calls it, dead, living dead, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. We all once did that and lived that way. The prince of the power of the air. We followed the devil, in other words. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's what you were once like, says Paul. But things are different now. The words I have spoken to you. Let's come back to this again. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. In other words, they bring life. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The absence of the word of God is a time of famine, we saw. And it produces spiritual death because if you keep having a famine, what happens to you? You die. I want you to notice the progression we're seeing here. We begin with a church that's white, shining for God, conquering. Then we move into persecution. That's actually doing the church good because it becomes the seed to bring others to the Lord. Christianity was flourishing under persecution. It was growing. But then we come to blackness, darkness. Evil is invading the church. Famine is on. And the next step is what? Death spiritual death and therein lies a lesson for you and I when we neglect the word of God and don't follow the word of God the next step is death spiritual death and I have seen it you have seen it I've seen people who once rejoiced in Jesus Christ they loved Christ they gave their life to Christ something happened and soon they were no longer part of God's family I've even seen some friends who once believed in God they're now atheists Marriage is wrecked. They, they, they turned away from God's word and soon they were doing stuff that they would never have done before. 
This is spiritual death. An absence of the word of God eventually produces spiritual death. But not just spiritual death, because it won't stop there. When we're dead in trespasses and sins, let me tell you what we will do. We will get against those who are following truth, and we will cause death. Physical death. Let's go back and look at what's going on in the university, from university history. The Middle Age church was a bloodbath. really was. First of all, let's notice, the Crusades. Who was fighting the Muslims? Christians. Christians were butchering Muslims. Is that right? Well, of course it's not right. How could Christianity think that they were doing this for God? Let me tell you how. You see, because when we're not following the word of God, we will do stuff that's totally wrong. E.g. Paul. Heard of Paul, haven't we? Paul thought he was doing God a favor when he was killing Christians. He said, I persecuted the church. He was very sad he did it when he, when he woke up. But he was a man of the Bible. He knew the Old Testament more than you and I know it, let me tell you. He was a Sabbath keeper. And the eyes of people, he was a good man. But he thought he was doing right killing the church. Wow. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, the Crusades. What about the Hundred Years' War between France and England over religion? 1337 to 1453. How about the Black Death? Why was there so much plague? Why was all this, all this stuff happening, killing people by the thousands, yea, the millions? Because the church had neglected the Word of God. If they had only read the Word of God, they would have seen. You need to quarantine when you have disease. You need to wash your hands when you touch a dead body. We went through all that stuff. But if you're not reading the Word of God, you're not going to know that. So we're not going to practice that, and so we're going to suffer the consequences. Inquisitions. Wow, the church turning on faithful, godly priests and bishops simply because they preach the Bible, simply because they preach from the Bible about Jesus Christ. This was a time of persecution. Uh, even the church has acknowledged this. John Paul II, that uh, man who was loved by his church, notice what he said just a few years ago. In the Jubilee year and the season of Lent, Pope John Paul confronted the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Holocaust, and the other horrors in seeking to express regret for sins committed by the church in the past 2,000 years. What John is predicting here and what history is telling us is acknowledged by the church. This is the sad reality that uh, John was predicting here so long ago. But eventually it will be eternal death. Notice what Paul wrote, what he said, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, you and I once, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, we were by nature children of wrath. We were headed for eternal destruction, just as the others are headed for eternal destruction. And that's why Paul preached the gospel. He knew God didn't want that to happen to anybody. Now, I want you to think about this. Even though people were so dead in their sins, I love what the Bible says, God loves those dead in sin. Let's read, let's read on. I love the word but. This continues on. Whenever you see a but in the Bible, you better stop. But God who is rich in mercy. What a beautiful phrase that is. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with 
Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now just stop this for a moment. I want to say something here this afternoon that some of you may not be happy with. But it's the truth. There are people that many times Christians despise. They can't stand those who may have a different lifestyle. You know what I mean? A different sexual orientation, different sexual way of living. Now, God doesn't love that lifestyle either, but let me tell you, he loves those people with a passion far more than you and I do. No matter how far down, no matter how far they remove from God's commandments, God loves them. Full stop. The drunkard, the drug addict, the thief, the scoundrel in politics who deceives the world. God loves them. And right now, Christians are in danger of, of, of criticizing the government and the governments of this world. Be careful, my friend. Be careful, because these are blood-bought people. Now, what they do can certainly be wrong, but God loves them, and we should be awful careful how we speak of them. Doesn't mean we can't say, hey, this is wrong. But be careful what we call people. When I was reading recently where a Christian called uh, some government leader a mongrel, I thought, come on, you're not a Christian. You will not do that if you really love Jesus. Did Jesus treat his enemies that way? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. <laughs> totally different, wasn't it? On the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. You see what I'm trying to say here, brothers and sisters? God loves us at our worst. And yeah, it can be that leaders are at their worst. But God still loves them. And we need to pray for them. We need to pray that God will turn their hearts. None of us can go so low, but where sin abounds, God's grace much more abounds. That's the truth of the Bible. So, the fourth seal. 538 AD to 1517. Deathly Christianity, and it can be true even for you and I today. We can be in the church. We can be a pastor. We could be your conference president. We can be a minister, and we could be dead in the water. True, isn't it? Let's not be that. Let's remember. But God, who is rich in his mercy, he loves us even when we're at our worst. So we're going to continue our journey through time as we move into the last three seals. You've been listening to Countdown Back to the Future, made available by the Victoria Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Vic Park SDA Church. Well, I've been to the river, I've been baptized, I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been changed from the creature that once I was and redeemed is now my name. I've been changed, I'm newborn now, all my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. Though my sins were as scarlet, they're white as snow. I was bound, but today I am free. I was lost in the darkness, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. 
I've been changed. I've been newborn now. All my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. Like the poor Hebrew children, I wandered long in a bare desert land to and fro. But I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's land where the milk and honey flow. I've been changed, I've been newborn now, all my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. When at last in His presence I stand alone, He will wipe all the tears from my eyes. And I'll thank Him for giving a wretch like me lasting hope beyond the skies. I've been changed, I've been newborn now, my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. I'm changed. Michael Lining sang, I've been changed. And coming up next, the Booth Brothers will sing, It Is No Secret. The chimes of time bring out the news Another day is through Someone slipped and fell Was that someone new? You may have longed for added strength Your courage to renew Do not be God 
Peldridge will now sing step by step. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days, and I will follow you all of my days, and I will follow you all of my days, and step by step You'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. Hi, I'm Marilyn, the two-tip lady, and I love to give tips to help make your life more simple. Do you ever feel that your life is just pretend? That you're all show and no punch? That you're going absolutely nowhere? Well, we were out walking the other day and we spotted an old wagon in a weedy, overgrown paddock. 
We thought that there must be some interesting mystery there, so we hiked over to investigate. And surprise, it was a wagon. But it had fixed wooden wheels that had never turned as wheels do. It was all show and no do. It never had done anything. It had just sat there since the day it was built. It was just pretend. It had never creaked and rattled its way along a dusty trail. It had never carried weary travellers to far-off destinations. It's never been anywhere. Just where it was built, right there. Do you ever feel that your life is just pretend too? Remember, we've just asked that. Do you feel you're going nowhere? Well, that's what my two tips are all about today. There's a way to fix that. Guess what it is? So simple. First tip today is start moving. Well, how? Take actions that will make you feel like you're going to want to feel. Don't wait to feel different. So here's tip number two. Start doing what you really would like to do because feelings will follow your actions. You'll not have to feel that your life is pretend, that you're not going anywhere because you'll be moving. So do you want new feelings? Want to feel like your life is on the move again? That you're not at a standstill like the sad old wagon? Then start doing what you want to do, whether you feel like it or not. And positive, happy, successful feelings will follow. So I have two simple tips for today. Start moving and start doing what you really would like to do. You will be surprised what directions your life takes and how far you can go. That's it today from the Two Tip Lady who loves to help make your life more simple. Do this and you'll feel better, guaranteed. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.